Texas Community Matters, the podcast that brings you conversations that are critical to managing and governing condos, cooperatives, and homeowner associations. I'm your host, Tony Campisi, Executive Director of the Keystone Chapter of Community Associations Institute. Tune in each episode for the insights and information that are key to inspiring professionalism, effective leadership, and responsible citizenship, ideals reflected in community associations that are preferred places to call home. Today, I'm speaking with Ed Hoffman, Esquire, CCAL, Chair of CAI's Pennsylvania Legislative Action Committee, and our topic of discussion is emerging technologies in community associations. So why are we talking to a lawyer about this? Well, as a legal aspect to many of the emerging technologies that we'll be discussing in this episode of Community Matters. Before we get to today's topic, here's a brief word from our sponsor, Hoffman Law, LLC. I'm Ed Hoffman with Hoffman Law, LLC. Hoffman Law, LLC is a recognized leader in community association law. We're known for our responsiveness, legal acumen, leadership in the association industry, and our unwavering focus and commitment to education. You can learn more about us at our website, hoffmanhoalaw.com. Hoffman Law LLC is proud to sponsor this episode of the Community Matters Podcast. Ed, welcome to Community Matters Podcast, and please tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Hi, Tony. Uh, my name is Ed Hoffman. Uh, I am a practicing HOA attorney here in Pennsylvania. Uh, I'm also licensed in New Jersey. Uh, I'm with Hoffman Law LLC. We are a soup to nuts uh, community association law firm. It's all we do. We don't represent any other interests, meaning banks or developers or townships. Uh, all we do is represent HOAs. Uh, it is the sole primary pra- uh, uh, uh focus of our practice. So we are here for communities all over the state uh, in Pennsylvania, and we are also happy to be here on the podcast today to talk about some technology issues. So I mentioned in the introduction that Ed also serves as chair of our Legislative Action Committee, and that's relevant to the first couple of topics here that we're going to talk about, Ed. Some of the emerging technologies related to renewable energy Um, And they've mostly already emerged, but community associations may be dealing with them on a larger scale than previously. Um, So to start, let's talk about electric vehicle charging stations. This is relatively new to probably a lot of people. Um, what, What is the effect on community associations of this new technology? Well, I mean, there's a a myriad of factors here at play and Pennsylvania is not alone. Uh, This is happening all over the country. Uh, Some states, as you may or may not be surprised, like California, uh, Arizona, a lot of the Western states are kind of already ahead of the curve on this. But that being said, the issues are are all the same uh, with respect to communities and how they're dealing with it. And, you know, some of the issues that are present, and, and, and if you boil this down, let's boil it down to an owner level. An owner level, an owner says, I'd like to have a, a, I have a car and I'd like to put an electric charging station outside my unit. 
uh, meaning there's either no garage or there is a garage, but they don't want it inside the garage. And it could be because insurance won't cover it if it's inside because of fire hazard, or it could be just because they prefer to put it outside, et cetera. So that's step A. They come to the association and they tell you, we'd like to have an electric charging station here. And looking at it, I guess, from the association perspective, you have to, what kind of association is it? Or, or may, maybe more uh, specifically, what what type of homes exist in the association? What's the layout? And what I mean is, is it single family homes? Is it condos, like stacked condominium units with a parking lot or a parking garage? Are they townhome communities? Do they have driveways? Do they not have driveways? Are there common parking areas? Is it only common parking areas? And obviously all these things create different issues for communities to deal with. The biggest issue aside from the, the mere um, type of community it is or, or the ownership regime or just the logistical makeup of the community with respect to common elements is infrastructure. And what I mean by that is in, in old communities, the infrastructure has limitations. And namely, uh, the limitations are one is electricity. Uh, it depends how many charging stations there are going to be. You know, there's there's requirements for electricity that are required. The other one is what are you going over or under or through to get the charging station built? And what I mean by that is if it's let's take the example of a townhome community, which this is where I'm seeing more and more of these requests. Townhome community owner in a has a uh, a garage does not have a garage they have common parking not deeded just common parking and then they would like a spot up front near their unit with an electric charging station question is who's paying to put that in how does that get put in how does the electricity get only run to the unit owner's house um, it has to go under a sidewalk or through a sidewalk it's presumably a 220 line Who's paying for the engineering? Who's paying for the approvals? Who's paying? There are all these issues present with that. Insurance issues, you know, another issue, insurance and liability issues. We've had communities where people put a, they go to Home Depot and they get a, a real thick uh, gauge extension cord and they literally plug their, their Tesla into an extension cord and run it literally across the sidewalk. They put some cones on the sidewalk and run it to their unit and plug it in outside by their deck. And obviously that creates a, a lot of problems, right? Trip hazard, charging issue, danger. Uh, so there are a lot of issues. And I know I'm talking a mile a minute here, logistical, technical, legal issues, limitations on common areas. Um, as you can imagine, location, Parking spaces. What if they don't have deeded spaces and it's a, it's a park as you uh, first come, first serve? Does that mean someone with an electric car gets a reserve space because they have an electric car? Deeded spaces. If they are deeded, what if it's far away? Uh, limited available parking. You know, you're taking up, presumably taking up one or two spaces for charging stations. Insurance issues, expense, disturbance of common facilities, um, liability issues. Then who pays for the electricity? Is it going to be at the owner? Is it only for the one owner or is it for the benefit of more? In that case, is it open? And in that case, it would be a commercial provider, presumably, right? Uh, they'd be on premises. They'd have to ensure there'd be indemnity. It's a whole, a whole thing. And then there's 
different types of charging for different types or, or speed of, of charging a vehicle, level one, two, and three. Um, there's just so much to it. it and as, as they say uh, with relationships, it's complicated, right? It's not that it's not doable, but it's complicated. And we have to kind of take a breath and step back and look at all of it and figure out where we're going. Let me ask you further about the parking issue, because parking is one of the biggest pain points in community associations. Have you had a community that's addressed this? Um, let's say there's no deeded parking. It's just open. You park wherever you want. No driveways. Yeah. I, um, I, I've had multiple communities in the greater Philadelphia area have this pop up. An owner has submitted a request and there was just no feasible way to get it accomplished. Uh, logistically, expense-wise, liability-wise, um, the owner didn't, in, in all those cases, by the way, the owners did not want to pay to have it done. Uh, and the owners didn't want to indemnify the association in any way. Their belief was that the association has an obligation to put that in for their benefit even though the one community only had one person with an electric vehicle, the other two had two. Uh, one parked it inside their garage. The other one put it in their driveway and just had an outlet outside. Um, but in a situation with uh, the, the what you raised, Tony, with respect to no, no garage or driveway and only common spaces, the only one time I had, it, was, it, it, it crashed and burned. So um, the other ones they were at, they asked for uh, in situations where they wanted to park additional vehicles outside of the driveway in the garage, but there was no room and it just failed. So let me ask you a follow up because you mentioned um, the the idea that some owners object to having to pay for that thing, you know, having to pay for the extra cost. Think the association should do it, and I'm not advocating one way or the other, but. Associations don't put in gas pumps for gas-powered vehicles. Why should they feel obligated that the association should do this for electric vehicles? I don't see the – do you see where I'm going with this? Right. But now that you mentioned that, people may want gas pumps. Well, they might. It'll be like a wah-wah it'll be like a wah -wah, uh, outside the unit. Um uh, Yeah, I, I don't know if that's the, the correct analogy, but I, I, I see what you're saying. You're saying – uh, the limited number of people who have it, uh, why why should it be only for their benefit? Well, it's um, not going to be a limited number of people for much longer because electric yeah. vehicles are going to become more and more uh, readily available and more and more people are going to be driving them. They will. And, and I think I think what you're going to see to, to if, if if really we're going to be where the the federal government says we're going to be with electric vehicles, in the next decade, uh, new construction is going to catch up to that. Yeah. And what I mean is the facilities are going to be built into the new construction itself, where most of the conversation that you and I are having today is related to existing infrastructure and logistical problems. As you know, we have communities going back to the 40s and 50s and 60s, depending on where we are here. And, you know, uh, even 70s and 80s, and not, there's no nothing present that would handle this. And I have I have condominium buildings that I represent that were built in the last five to ten years, and they can't even handle this. And right. They have some of them have garages underground or 
or you know one underground and one at at ground level uh one floor at ground level and they don't even have the capability and nor do they have the capability to um to actually have room for it but they don't have the capability to even run the electric for it and what i mean by that is um it's the infrastructure is just not there and they were told by their insurance companies no chargers inside the garage mm-hmm. and what i mean by that is five they said from an underwriting perspective it's a fire hazard so again this whole as the batteries change and lithium technology changes in the batteries and the heat from the batteries all this is kind of a um it's it's an evolving process and i think we are probably gonna if you and i are actually Having this conversation in five years, I think it'll probably be a little different than it is right now. Completely different conversation. That's true. But so that brings me to my next question, because you mentioned earlier that you've had some communities that have not been able to do this or for whatever reason opted not to do it, um, which leads to often legislation mandating that we do it. Yeah, Um, we do have legislation that, as you know, is imminent in Pennsylvania on the topic of electric vehicle charging stations. So. Where do things stand with that in the Pennsylvania legislature? Yeah, sure. And but I guess before I answer that, I, I should also chime in. This is my my personal opinion on this. It's not it's not a la, uh, Pennsylvania LAC position or CI position, obviously. But my personal opinion on this is, and it goes back to the money issue. When owners said we're not paying for it, and the association say we're certainly not paying for it. Um, if legislators believe that there should be a legislative fix or force to this issue, uh, legislators legislators should identify how they're going to pay how community private communities are going to pay for it. And one way is to have grants available either through the Fed or otherwise to pay for this kind of infrastructure improvement. You can't expect people to start massively driving electric vehicles and then live in these communities and then not be able to charge the vehicles. So funding process is one thing. Again, that's just my personal, it's not a soapbox, but it's more of a practical issue. Um, Getting to your question about where we are in Pennsylvania, uh, Senator Kane, uh, Delaware County? Yes, uh, Delaware and Chester County, yes. Delaware and Chester, that's what it is. Senator Kane, uh, Pennsylvania State Senator Kane has a co-sponsorship memo uh, right now. And I won't read the whole thing verbatim, but uh, the gist is he's he's going to be introducing legislation to allow residents of condos and common interest communities, which are planned communities and POAs and HOAs, to install electric car charging stations in their designated parking spaces. Residents will be responsible for the cost of installing electric car charging stations. So that answers that issue with respect to who's going to pay for it. And legislation would bar unreasonable restrictions and enforcement against the use and expansion of electric car charging stations, as well as deliberate disregard of applications. Um, and then there's a statement about air quality and and uh, and all of that. But essentially, where it leads us for as as people who work in the association world is um, the senator likes or is is promoting electric vehicle use. Uh, um, is providing that the owners would be responsible for paying for it, but that the association can't put any unreasonable restrictions up. Uh, where we are, and by the way, we should we should be in front of the eight ball on legislation dealing with all these issues, not behind it. 
Uh, so we want to be in front of it. And in fact, the, the Pennsylvania LAC is working to get ahead of this right now. And the communications with Senator Kane and all his office would be that we would come up with model language uh, and that the LAC, the Pennsylvania LAC is actually working on that right now. And we should note that um, this podcast is being recorded on January 29th. And so this is an ongoing issue. And by the time people listen to this, you know, there may in fact be legislation that um, could be under consideration by the legislature. So we can certainly revisit that in the coming months. Um, let's turn to another um, energy efficiency issue, solar panels. Um, been around a lot longer than electric vehicles, but things are moving on this topic as well. Again, not really yeah. an emerging technology, but something that associations are having to deal with uh, much more frequently. So what's going on regarding solar panels in Pennsylvania? Yeah. yeah. Um, how about how about I say it this way? A lot, but not much. Uh, and I'm saying it that way because this this has been an issue for a very long time in Pennsylvania as well as nationally. So I did a little research on this. Uh, 29 states, including states next to us, New Jersey and Delaware, and also D.C., have laws which serve to prohibit association covenants or restrictions from applying to homeowners who seek to install solar panels and associated devices on their homes. Uh, Twelve more states have laws that protect easements and their establishment on a legal contractual basis without having expressed solar rights, an express solar rights law in effect. Now, Pennsylvania, we don't have anything right now, although there's been, I mean, at least I'm only going back to 2017. Uh, there have been previous, there's been pre previous solar legislation introduced multiple times. 27, 2018, uh, residential rights to solar energy, which was Senate Bill 1039. Uh, then uh, Senate Bill 430. 36, removing obstacles to residential rights to solar. That was 2019 and 20. And then uh, Senate Bill 826, ensuring all residential homeowners have access to solar. That was 21 and 22 session. So the, the theme, if you look at all those bills as they progressed, or rather were introduced and perhaps reintroduced, uh, in the first two Senate bills, associations wouldn't be allowed to actually prohibit or restrict the installation on a detached unit, the detached unit, meaning a single family home. Uh, that was the premise. That was in the 21 and 22 session. Um, and then, it, the, I'm sorry, the first two uh, Senate bills provided for that. In the 21-22 session, Senate Bill 826 took it a little further. And what it provided for was that associations couldn't um it would say associations would not be permitted to prohibit or would not be permitted to prohibit or restrict the installation or use of a solar energy system on a detached roof. And this is the key or a townhouse unit. So now we're talking about adjoining units and townhouse units that kind of changed the flavor a little bit. And currently in the 2023, 24 session, similar legislation was introduced Senate bill 31 and house bill 1759. And it's called solar energy systems. And um, it's the same premise as the last set that associations can't prohibit or restrict it, uh, uh, use of a solar energy system on a detached roof or townhouse. Uh, for, and it says for which the repair of the unit is an owner responsibility and not the responsibility of the community association. So it's 
clarifying it a little bit further. And what that means is whether it's a, a detached roof, which is a single family home typically, um, or a townhouse unit, which is an attached unit, the association can't limit it so long as the unit owner is responsible for maintaining it. It's much easier of an analysis when it comes to the single family unit and they it's one roof that it's one one home, one family lives in it versus the townhome unit because the townhome unit typically will have one roof, you know, whether you want to call it a row home or a townhome, whatever, carriage home, they all have the same roof structure. The problem with installing this on one townhome unit and not all of them is water takes the path of least resistance when there's a leak. So if you pop through the roof and and even if the, the owners are responsible, not not the um not the association as provided for in this legislation. If there's a problem, it may not impact the unit where the solar is installed. It may impact other units. And then guess who's going to have to get involved? The association, right? So um, all these bills that were previously introduced, as well as the current one, the focus is preventing. It's all prevention, preventing associations from restricting or or um, or, or installation or use of solar in a community association. Um, and, and the question is, why are we having this conversation so long? This is, again, my personal view. Why are we having this conversation so long? I think one reason is because boards don't want solar in the community. Aesthetically, a lot, there's, a, there's a belief that, and I've, I've talked to a lot of people about this, there's a belief that solar uh, is ugly and it doesn't look right. My view on it is these aren't the solar panels we saw in the late 70s or the early eighties that were the size of like a Walmart right now. They're the, they're, they literally are probably an inch and a half off the roof, two inches. They're generally the same color as the roof. Very non-obtrusive. You don't really see them much anymore. Um, bigger issues are adjoining units, maintenance, things like that. Uh, those are the bigger issues. And then, of course, there's a the technical aspects to it that we're not even talking about, like what, how's it get wired in? Are there common? If it, in the new units, it's not an issue. They have their own separate boxes and meters. But in older units, sometimes they're not metered that way. It runs through one system that creates its own dilemma. So again, it's back to infrastructure. We're back to the infrastructure discussion here. So wouldn't you agree, ugly or not, <laughs> that this is an issue that's not going to go away and that associations are, are going to have to um, accommodate these. Um, the, the, not. The, the well, incre yeah, the, the, the increasing requests that are going to come from homeowners yeah. for some I, sort of accommodation on this issue. It's not. Yeah. Gonna... Yeah. And if you read, um, if you see what happened with solar over the last few decades, uh, the federal energy tax credits and tax laws have changed multiple times. It's kind of the same thing with electric vehicles. Um, that's constantly evolving as well. Uh, that's probably still going to happen if, if they're focused and you want to call it clean energy, you can call it clean energy. Um, but you're right. I mean, we are going to see for whatever reason someone wants to install them, we're going to see this popping up over and over and over. The key is going to be to come up with, if it's going to be a legislative uh, fix or a legislative solution, rather, uh, the, keys, the key is going to be for us to come up with something uh, that works for community associations and work with the legislators in that. 
And I think it's important to note here, you mentioned bills going back to 2017. Um, there actually was a piece of legislation in the 2009-2010 legislative session introduced in the Pennsylvania House that we initially, our lack initially opposed. Um, we worked with the legislator, the sponsor of the bill, um, provided amendments. We eventually, uh, the, the, the legislator accepted our amendments, the lack endorsed the legislation and it passed the state house. It died in the Senate, didn't get, didn't get a vote in the Senate. And so it never became law, but um, CAI at the time, and I think currently recognizes that, as we just said, this issue is not gonna go away. And similar to the electric vehicle charging topic, we need to be ahead of the eight ball, not behind the eight ball and, and get legislation that we can support that community associations um, you know, will will be beneficial to community associations and the people who live there. Yeah, hundred percent. I agree. And what you'll see frequently with with these types of uh, issues is party line split vote. Uh, sometimes not, by the way, depending on the issue. But um, it's not unusual. Pennsylvania, we have a, a quite a unique situation going on in the legislature right now, and that's that's how I'll characterize it. Um, and we are where we are are and we can only work to try and make the correct things happen for associations as they come. So let's turn to a completely different topic, management software. These technology platforms seem to be rapidly evolving. There seems to be new systems uh, popping up every year. So Talk about that. What can you share with our listeners about these new full service management software platforms? Yeah, and this is actually evolving fairly quickly. Um, you know, a decade ago, there was one or two products on the market that most management companies used. And then the larger management companies have their own proprietary software that they develop internally and use in-house. But for commercial software products uh, that, that a lot of management companies use, uh, it's changing. There's more, a little more competition out there now, and they're getting more and more advanced. And part of the process of getting more advanced in this area is uh, communication tools and allowing managers and their staff to to uh, do things on the fly. And what I mean by that is, you know, you as a manager now can be out on site. It used to be managers you would have to go out and do a, a site inspection write everything down on a clipboard, drive back to the office, log into the system, put put it into the system. They literally now can take a picture with a smartphone, click a button, and it'll send a notice out electronically through the portal to the unit owner about a violation. Um, we won't talk about the due process and everything, and we hope that's all built in. Um, as, a, as the HOA attorney, I, I frequently have to bring that up. But regardless of, of that aspect, it's making life easier. So photographs, violation notices, communication tools in general. Uh, as you know, this uh, many of the issues that HOAs and community associations and condominiums face, they're, they're communication driven. Um, I always tell clients the communication is one of the biggest things that most communities need to work on. And it's a double, it's not a one-way street, it's a two-way street. So owners need to communicate with the board and or management and management and or the board need to communicate with the owners. Um, if they're not communicating, that's where 
you start to see distrust and bottlenecks and things where um, owners feel like they're not being heard and um, managers and boards feel like the owners are being apathetic. So um, this, this, these modern technological solutions will, in my opinion, end up with better communication because you're they're at the point now where the thing can go out instantaneously. The owner will get a notification on the smartphone and say, you got to, you got to notice from the management company. And then it says, Oh, you're in violation of something. It allows them then to respond right on the device through the portal. And it's amazing. It's amazing technology. So they can also pay their assessments right through, right through these apps. Um, it, you know, set up auto pay. It eliminates people not paying. Uh, people can complain. I put that in quotes. They can raise concerns to management and and the board through the software. Um, and again, opening up the line of communication is critical. So I think it's allowing these 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 new pieces of software and, and new systems are allowing management to do its job better and faster. And it can only just make management better and make the relationship better in the community, in my opinion. So this is really the appification of uh, HOA management, right? A, a, an app on your phone, like, you know, we've all got Venmo, we've all got WhatsApp to chat with people and uh, everybody's got the most powerful computer they ever owned right in their pocket. And these, this seems to be the natural progression of that technology for, it is. for HOA management. It is. And I only brought, bring up management because it's you. It's, it's usually the eyes and ears of the community, right? Mm -hmm. uh, managers, their job is to take direction from the board and, and facilitate um, facilitate running the community on behalf of, of the board of directors. So this, this, uh, this new software is, has really come a long way. I, I think it's going to, and as it, as it evolves, um, and, and by the way, as, as unit owners also evolve, and what I mean by that is their willingness to accept new technology and utilize it, I think that the communication is going to get much better. And if we have greater communication, um, some of the issues we face in associations, you know, might, I was going to say might go away, but they might lessen, some of the issues might lessen as a result. So similar to the the management software, again on your on your device, etc., apps. Um, let's talk about electric voting, electronic voting, and meetings. It's got a significant boost because of the pandemic. Yep. You know, they say necessity is the mother of all invention. So perhaps there's a little bit of that at play here too. Bring our listeners up to speed on this issue. Yeah. So uh, with respect to electronic voting and meetings, um, as you brought up. We did, I don't know how many sets of emergency bylaws during the pandemic for clients to allow them to, to function uh, under the nonprofit corporation law in Pennsylvania. There's a provision for emergency situations and communities weren't able to get together. The boards couldn't technically couldn't meet. They weren't allowed. And I mean, in person, as it used to be. And same with association with members meetings, they weren't permitted to meet. So they started to meet virtually, and that's why Zoom is worth what it's worth now, by the way, not just because of the associations, but because of, of, of everything, and the pandemic greatly assisted with that. It also insisted in this technology becoming better, and again, uh, the, you know, the necessity that came up, the technology kind of exploded and got better and better, and we are where we are today. 
with respect to e-voting and meetings in PA, uh, 1795, which was passed uh, and then became effective last May, um, as we know, that deals with electronic voting and meetings. However, we're, there are still some issues with respect to uh, specificity as to what it applies to, and we're actively seeking to figure out where we're going to go with that. I have a lot of communities that are actually just, they're just starting to use it based on what 1795 provides. Um, whether that whether that's correct or not, uh, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. However, um, there still needs to be a fix to 1795, which is Act 115, uh, with respect to clarifying these items, in my opinion. So, um, but these these technologies are used for voting meetings, board for boards and associations. Uh, we weren't even using them four or five years ago. I mean, honestly, it took it literally took COVID to kind of make this mainstream, and we have to, again. I think we need to fix where we are and progress with it. Uh, I don't see again. This is where we're going to be. I don't think you're going to see within, I don't, unless people really want to meet in person or at least have an option of having a meeting in person along with the virtual option. I think this is the future in community associations. Tell me your experience with electronic voting. Has this, because we've heard this anecdotally, has, has electronic voting increased, um, voter turnout within community association elections and made it easier to get quorums and get things passed? Yeah. So um, the answer is yes. And I can tell you from experience, the clients that I have that actually have electronic voting in their bylaws already. Uh, so they were newer communities and the bylaws, these, these particular clients, their bylaws provided for electronic voting and or meetings of the board or and or the members, the association. So it was already built in there. And again, also, communities don't need to wait for a legislative fix if they're waiting for it. They can try on their own to fix or rather amend their bylaws to allow for this. The irony is that that'll have to go through an in-person meeting, right? It'll have to be the old school way of doing the amendment, having the meeting, having the vote to allow for electronic voting in the future if they're not if they they believe 1795 doesn't apply to them right now. So uh, it has increased exponentially attendance and it also has increased um, voting as well. It's still very difficult to get things passed in Pennsylvania with the thresholds. And by the way, it should be difficult to change declarations in particular. It shouldn't be an easy concept. I'm not saying that it, it should be difficult for the purpose of avoiding change. I'm saying it should be difficult because these are very important issues that are in the declaration and they should be taken with a grain of salt. And uh, the thresholds that we have in existence for those amendments are important. So even with, I've had communities, even with electronic voting, they still have had amendments fail. They had more people on the meetings, but the votes still weren't there. Right. Well, it's just like, you know, we've made our uh, federal constitution hard to amend for the same reason, because changes of that magnitude should be carefully thought through and right you know, we shouldn't be making changes uh for change sake there should be significant changes so correct you know that, that that's an important thing to note um communications and how we engage with each other how communities engage with homeowners 
this has also changed rapidly over the last 10 or 15 years. And of course, I'm talking about social media. Um, seems like there's a new social media site that pops up daily. Uh, and while there are very positive uses for social media, it's also generated divisions, Yeah. exacerbated divisions in our society. It's led to online attacks, verbal attacks. People seem to be less um, uh, careful with what they're willing to say on social media. It's created bubbles and echo chambers in which we all live. So how are communities effectively managing this emerging technology? Um sometimes not well. And other times they're they're able to to manage it. Um as we said before, with solar and EVs, it's not going to go away. And what I mean by that is social media is just not going to go away. And the use of social media, whether it's by owners who have their own owners group and they're against the association, that use isn't going to go away. And the use of social media by an association is not going to go away. I think it's actually going to become part of the norm of where we are for I've probably been talking about this since 2010 or so uh, in the association context, at least. And um, it's changed a lot. It's evolved a lot. But what hasn't what hasn't changed is my opinion on how associations should use social media. I don't think associations should ever allow for a situation where they have a, a let's take Facebook, for instance, because it's it's one of the biggest ones, um, an open forum Facebook page where everyone just gets on and just bashes one another. Uh, the purpose of the Facebook page for the association shouldn't be that. It shouldn't be for people to get on and talk trash, for board members to get on and, and get caught up in it. It's just, what it does is it creates strife, negativity. It makes the community look bad. What What the official presence should be for associations is always, why is this a great place to live? What are we doing as a community? How are we helping one another? How are we helping people? What's important? Messaging. You know, it used to be um, the, the website used to be the place to go. A lot of times communities don't even use the website anymore. It can be web. If you look at some of the community websites, they haven't been updated in 10 years. You know, you look at it and it's um, it's like I designed it when I was, you know, I was going to say young, but I'm, I'm not that young. I'm not that old. So um, younger. Yes, yes, younger, younger. I always look younger though, Tony. So what I'm getting at here is the premise with respect to social media is associations have to be very careful in how they utilize it official, officially. Um, there should be safeguards and there should be guidelines to it. There should be also be use agreements if they are going to allow open posting, acceptable use agreements, disclaimers. There should also be someone whose job it is to monitor those pages and not let it get if you are going to allow open posting. And then also your disclaimer would be, you agree to these terms and conditions. If we see you're violating them, we're going to kick you off. We're going to remove your posts. We're going to kick you off. But generally associations don't have the manpower to do this. Sometimes they want management to do it. Management doesn't have the manpower to do it. So I say use it as a communication tool. Like think about Twitter, for instance, One of the larger communities, two, 3,000 units, private, you know, 40, 50, 60 miles of private roads. Think about if they don't have, and a lot of communities, by the way, speaking of technology and software, there is communication software now that they text 
global texting software that they utilize to blast a text out to everyone in the community about a road that's closed or a danger or snow. Um, if they can't afford to do that, they can use Twitter for free and they can put it, they can tweet again, control, control the content when it relates to owners and what they do. Um, there are certain things the associations can do and should do to prevent things from occurring, or at least try and get them to stop if they can't prevent it. But the association's name should never be used in a formal way when it's not the association's formal page. It shouldn't be used by anyone else. And then also there shouldn't be defamatory conduct on there about boards and board members and things that are happening because a lot of that is oftentimes false. So um, it's it's almost like in the old days where someone would say something and it would go in the newspaper. Instead of that, now we have social media where people are putting things on that aren't true. And then the impacts, by the way, are greater than just in the community, because if everyone can see what's, what's going on, it negatively impacts the, in, the entire community. People may not want to buy a house there. It might be hard to sell a house there. Um, people don't think about these things, but it's ultimately you hear it from realtors when you're talking to them. So it's all very important. Well, we should revisit this topic in two or three or four years and uh, see what has changed and especially see how the whole uh, topic of artificial intelligence has changed some of these issues that we've been discussing about because we didn't talk about artificial intelligence, but that is here now too. And that is going to change everything that we just talked about probably. So right, lot, yeah. lots of things going on. This was a great conversation and thank you for joining me today. For this episode of Community Matters Podcast, to share your insights on emerging technologies and how they're impacting the management and governance of community associations. I know this information will be useful to our listeners. Thanks for tuning in to Community Matters. We're glad to have your attention for a short time. And thanks once more to the sponsor of Community Matters Podcast, Hoffman Law LLC, our own Ed Hoffman, who joined us today. Find them on the web at hoffmanhoalaw.com. Interested in being a guest on an upcoming episode of Community Matters? Reach out to me at Tony, T-O-N-Y, at caikeystone.org. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you'll get notifications every time we post a new episode. And please share our podcast with your colleagues and friends. For more resources and best practices on managing and governing your condominium, cooperative, or homeowners association, please contact CAI or visit our website at www.caikeystone.org. Thanks again for listening.